welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Appreciate the music this morning. If you're born again, I trust you appreciated the reminder of who God is, where he is, and that he's in control. As they were singing the choir song and the end there, I was kind of um, distracted by the thought of what it must be like now in heaven and what it will be like when we all get to heaven. And imagine the millions singing together praise to God. Worthy. Holy. You are king. The reality is that's not something that we can really fathom. But I'm grateful on Sundays, every now and then, we get a little glimpse of what that might be like. And um, I trust today, I don't know why necessarily, I trust today you know he is king and lord of your life. I'm telling you, uh, this is what makes my sermon so long. I get distracted and feel like I need to tell you something other than what I've prepared all week for. But I, I'm, on one hand, I am very, very concerned about our nation. I'm concerned about the church. I'm concerned about the false professors the false teachers, the false preachers, that in my very brief young lifetime, I have never seen anything like it. And I'm gonna go out on a limb and say those of you who have a few years on me, or maybe twice, uh, none of you are here, the number of years, you can probably say as well, you've not seen what we're seeing in our country in your lifetime. There's always been sin, there's always been an enemy, there's always been distractions, there's always been disunity. But church, I'm, I'm not here to preach on eschatology this morning, but we cannot look through a biblical worldview, the biblical lens of scripture, we cannot see what's happening and not know that we've never seen this before. I don't know what that means to you, but I know this morning I've been reminded and been encouraged to know on any day of the week I can be distracted, I can be discouraged, I can be flat out ticked off with good spiritual Jesus-like indignation <laughs> and maybe sin a little but still have peace and comfort and security knowing that God's in control. And that's a balance that is necessary, church member, professing believer. That's a balance that is essential for you to not lose your ever-loving mind as a believer today. Now, I know that's maybe hard for some of you spiritual giants to process, But I think it's nearly impossible to not di get discouraged, angry, hurt, irate, confused 
at what we see today. And if we're open and honest and transparent with ourselves, with each other, with the church, with God, he understands we're still flesh. We still battle. But unless you have the peace that Jesus said, peace I'll leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. There is a phony peace that the world is giving. But for Christians who are looking through the spiritual lens of Scripture, you can't look at that world peace and have peace. The peace only comes from Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, who says, peace I give to you, peace I leave with you, my peace, not as the world gives. And that comes to a believer, and a believer only. There's no unbeliever, there's no lost person breathing today who has the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. It's only the believer. It's only the believer who is empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit of God, who is the comforter where you can have any measurable amount of comfort in your life. And this world is in a mess. This country is in a mess. People are in a mess. Minds are frazzled because they don't have the peace of God. We're seeing things happen that Christians ought to get our attention. That ought to confirm in our hearts and minds God knows what he's doing. When he wrote about this craziness that we see through his inspired word thousands, hundreds of years ago that he knew what he was talking about. And if we're seeing this happen, if we're seeing right called wrong and wrong called right and people fighting about it, if we see people making up man-made ideas and ideals and people buying into it, which makes no sense, but it's exactly what God said will happen. Then we've got to know these latter pages are just as true as what he said we're seeing today. Are you ready? I'm like our past preacher and many others have said, I'm, I'm ready to go, but I'm not hanging out at the bus stop this morning. We still got some living to do. We still got some families to raise. We got some grandbabies to teach. So let's do it while we're here. And make no apologies about it. Stand firm, stand strong. Everybody else has a voice. Time for us to speak up. All right, that was free, here we go. John chapter 21, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do. We're gonna be in one of my few favorite passages of scripture today in John chapter 21. I'm gonna be in verses 15 through 19. I know we have, um, certainly we ought to have a lot of people watching this morning because there are a lot of people playing hooky. I know where they're at, still don't like it. But um, appreciate those who are watching. I look in to see if there's anybody watching. Sometimes I talk to them. But I know there are some watching on our website and by Facebook, and I appreciate them being here. And if any of you Russians or Chinese or Biden fans are watching, you need Jesus. We all do. John chapter 21, I'm going to read verses 15 through 19, but it's important to understand the context of the whole chapter. So if you want to stand as we honor God's word, uh, I, I messed up this morning and I watched a video on Twitter and um, about changed my whole message. That wouldn't have been of God. But I don't want to call out any specific person right now. I have done that on a Wednesday night and played a video of him preaching. It's unfortunate that there are some preachers who have audiences of many thousands, not just in their church, but podcasts, sometimes millions of subscribers that are suddenly deciding that they don't believe the Word of God. They have a, they have a very shrewd, um, satanic might be a strong word, but they have a very shrewd way of humanizing, putting it into their words, what God really meant or what God should have said 
and there are millions of people listening to at least this one person that I watched the video on this morning. I shared it if you're on Twitter. I know Twitter's kind of outdated, but that's where I get all my news. And, but this is real. And if you don't know Ken Ham, uh, Ken Ham is the president, CEO, founder of Creation Institute, Answers in Genesis. He's been speaking out a lot lately. And he doesn't tweet just 12 words. He tweets like 12 paragraphs. If you've ever heard him, he will say 12 paragraphs in about 12 seconds, so you have to, but he's calling them out. And uh, he's, he called out one of them that's unfortunately leading a multitude of young, uh, our young generation. And um, some of you are really confused or really intrigued right now, but this man's dad was Charles Stanley. And um, it's unfortunate what's going on. But if there's ever been a day that we need to stand on the truth, and when we come to a passage we don't understand, don't try to make our minds understand it, but allow God to do a work through his Holy Spirit and just believe it. Don't try to rationalize it. Don't try to Americanize it. Don't try to simplify it. Believe it. And trust in the Holy Spirit to teach us. This morning's passage is a little simpler to understand. So, um, John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. So when they had dined, they were Baptists, they, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he says unto him, Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved, that word is sorrowful, because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, listen to how he responds, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, Jesus loved to say verily, verily. I say unto thee, when you were young, you girdest thyself and walked wherever you would. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whether thou wouldest not. Carry you where you don't want to go. This spoke Jesus, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, follow me. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you for your and encouragement to believers. Believers who may have slipped. Believers who may have failed you. Believers who may have denied you. Believers who know that they're born again confident in their salvation but aren't where they're meant to be not where they're supposed to be maybe they're bound by some past mistakes and today I pray your Holy Spirit will convict us convict us all of our shortcomings of our failures and if there's one or ten or twenty who feel unworthy pray today they will see you love them your grace is sufficient and that you want them to serve you how you've called them to we ask this in Jesus name amen thank you you may be seated titled this message restored for more. If you have a study Bible or have studied this passage before, a couple people already left. They must be Andy Stanley fans. I'm trying to figure this out. That gets me distracted. I didn't know we had so many. Justin, you still here? Okay, good. Make sure. <laughs> Somebody stop them out there and see if that's why they left or if they have a real emergency. Funny how the emergencies happen right when it's time to preach. Oh, well, I got Surely I missed something. I 
I'm sure they have perfectly legitimate reasons for leaving. If you have a study Bible, you'll probably see something that says Peter's restoration or the restoring of Peter. Many of us know this passage of Scripture if we've been in church any amount of time. This passage in John 21 is, as I said, it's one of my favorite because I, some have told me that I have a tinge of sarcasm or sarcastic abilities. And I look when I see the disciples and Jesus and Peter many times and Paul, a, a little hint of sarcasm. And in and, and this passage of Scripture, it's, I think I see some of it and I relate to it. And um, maybe that's why it's one of my favorites. I think it's also one of my favorite because Jesus has not yet ascended. He's resurrected. He's made appearances to disciples, to hundreds of others, the scripture says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Here is the third appearance of Jesus after his resurrection. Now I wanna clarify some things so I don't wanna upset anybody. I've already hurt some feelings. I don't wanna do it anymore. My goal today was to make everybody happy. My goal every Sunday. Maybe it was the, that I, said, I said Biden, didn't I? Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> Trying to think what it was that ran him off. Um, the disciples are in Galilee where Jesus said to go. After the resurrection, he told Mary, he said, go tell the disciples uh, to meet me in Galilee. So the disciples go to Galilee. In this text, in Matthew 21, it's John 21, you'll see there are seven total disciples fishing. Um, remember now, Peter is a part of this group. You have to go back a few pages and understand, and I don't want to preach this message, um, but Peter has denied Jesus three times. They were at the Last Supper, monumental time in the history of the soon-to-be church. They're at the Last Supper. Jesus says, uh, what's gonna happen to me will cause many of you, all of you, to spread and desert me. And Peter, being the voice of the crowd, usually says, not me, Lord. Everybody else may, but not me. I I'm gonna follow you wherever you go. I'll even die for you if I have to. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, Peter, you will deny me three times. I can't imagine what the scene was like that night, by the way. He didn't argue with Jesus. But he was convinced in his heart, I will never deny you. All the other ones may run, but I'm not going to. I'm sold out. I mean, he's so sold out, he cut a guy's ear off. Peter was the redneck in the group. He was the fisherman with a knife by his side. He got ticked off quick. There you go. Peter has now denied Jesus. The Bible says after he denied Jesus three times, rooster crows, Peter remembers the words of the Lord and goes out, and the Bible says in the Gospels that he went out and wept bitterly. That's a powerful passage of Scripture. Peter was a believer. Peter was a disciple. Peter was the one who had confessed that Jesus was the Christ. Now he is messed up royally. If you ever go back and look at the passage that he went and wept bitterly, it, it's not he was crying. It's not that he was just upset. It's, uh, it's this act of violence. It's a, it's a violent shaking in his weeping. There's obviously remorse. There's obviously, oh, I have messed up. And I'm gonna throw in right here to set the stage there's no doubt there's some Christians, some believers, some disciples today who have found themselves messed up. And when you're truly born again, and you're truly a believer, and you truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you mess up, I'm not, I'm not just talking about you, you, you said something you shouldn't have said, or you kicked your dog because he wouldn't stop barking, or I'm saying when you have denied Jesus, There's some violent weeping. There's some uh, contrition. There's remorse. The Holy Spirit convicts us. And I, I don't, I'm gonna just assume that many of us have been convicted by the Holy Spirit and it is not a great place to be. 
other than it's a reminder that you're one of his and he's convicting you. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And Peter's experienced that. I believe Peter's struggling. After the resurrection, well, one account in the Gospels, they say, go and tell the disciples and Peter. It's obviously Peter's struggle. It's obvious. He's, he's not dealing with this well. John chapter 21, at the beginning, we see the disciples are fishing in Galilee. Seven of them total, just for, just for, I make you mad too? Don't look, don't, just kidding. <laughs> I believe, it says there's two disciples that aren't named. I believe, I'd like to believe that one of them is Peter's brother who had introduced him to Jesus in the first place. I wouldn't have done that to just anybody. Everybody relax. But he might be mad. We'll find out. Peter, six other people, they're on a boat fishing on the Sea of Galilee where they're supposed to be. This is where I, I, I love how this happens. And I'm going to make some clarifications, and I hope I don't hurt any feelings. Um, I've heard Peter get picked on a lot. In sermons I think I know why I think most preachers know how futile how failure oriented that we're not perfect so when we see Peter mess up you're like yeah let's talk about Peter how messed up he was make me feel better about myself now that's how I think now, I'm not gonna pick on Peter because um, Peter was chosen by God. And we see it all through the New Testament. Peter's fishing. He's got some friends, other disciples. And the Bible says in chapter 21, I'm not going to read it all. They were in Galilee by the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Great Sea many times. And Peter says in the King James, I go a fishing. And people have said, Peter is cold on God, he's bitter, and he just went fishing. And his friend said, I'm going with you. And he just brought them all down. I've heard that preached. You want to believe that if you can, make you feel better about yourself, that's fine. But Peter is where he's supposed to be. He's in Galilee, where Jesus said to go. Peter was also a fisherman by trade. What else is he going to do? Well, he should have been out telling people about Jesus. Maybe that's what somebody in here just thought, some spiritual giant just thought that. And I can also take a, take a right turn here and go down a bumpy road and talk about how you shouldn't be fishing on Sunday. <laughs> but that's not in the text either. That's just personal. But he's in a boat fishing in Galilee where Jesus said, maybe he's fishing because he was bored. Maybe he's fishing because he's a fisherman. Or maybe he's a fisherman because he's hungry. And he's fishing with his buddies. Or maybe you're just old school and want to think everybody's just terrible and you think they're just cold on God and fishing. The other thing is in the chapter, you got to read it and I love it. Um, I've heard Peter so cold on God that he's out fishing when he ought to have been doing something else. We don't know what he should have been doing. But he should have been doing something else. And to put, make things worse, he's out there on the boat naked. Now, if you, if you have a King James Version, you'll flip back a few verses. And it says Peter's out there naked. Which makes absolutely no sense unless you're preaching. He's just so cold on God, he strips his clothes off. He, he had clothes on, church. King James says he was naked of his outer garment. I know that just messed up somebody's rich doctrinal heritage right there because you, you, maybe you fish naked and you say, well, that's the way Peter did it. And that's, <laughs> it's all right. But it, what's interesting is he, he doesn't have his outer garment on. He sees Jesus. Remember this? I'm, I'm just telling this so I don't have to preach it out necessarily. He's... They're out there fishing. Man shows up on the shore, happens to be Jesus. They don't know it yet. This is all in the text. If you want to back me up, make sure. 
Maybe it's foggy, maybe it's a distance. It says it's about 100 yards, so eh, depends. They don't know it's Jesus. And this guy says, hey, y'all caught anything? They're like, no. And he says, cast your net on the right side, which is why we are all politically on the right side because it's right in the context. So we cast it on the right side, and they catch in so, they get so many in their net, they can't pull them in the boat, right? Am I still on, I'm still in the Bible, right? John says, it's the Lord. Peter says, put on my coat, I'm going swimming, which once again makes no sense. Now, he's not naked, but he doesn't have his outer garment on, but he says, let me put it on and dive in the water. I don't understand that, but I believe it's what it says. He swims to Jesus, he gets there, I love this, you haven't caught any fish? No, fish on the right side, you'll catch some. And they get to the shore and Jesus has a fire cooking fish with some bread. I love that. It has nothing to do with the sermon other than it's the context to where we're getting. They have breakfast together. Jesus said, now I wanna throw this out there because it's gonna come into play. Jesus says, bring the fish with you. This will help us out, right? He says, bring the fish with you. They drag the fish in. They're real fishermen, how do I know? They've already counted them. It says there's 153. Oh, either they're real fishermen and there was like 100 and they lied. But there's 153 fish. He says, bring them with you. So they're dragging the fish. They sit down and have breakfast with Jesus. Am I good so far? That's what happens. Verse 15 says, I think we're close to getting there. Verse 15, so when they had dined, Jesus says to Simon Peter, note what's happened. They're all hanging out, they're all eating, and now the scene changes. Now it's time for Peter to be restored. Now it's time for us to see the message of why Peter was restored. Church, don't miss this for the next two hours. There's a need for some Christians to be restored. I've, I've kind of fussed about this before and I understand why people say, but God does need you. He does need you. He does want you to serve him. I understand there's some people that say, oh, God doesn't need you. He can pluck you off and create three just like you. But he doesn't do that. And he wants you to serve him. He called you for a purpose. He saved you for a purpose. And he wants us to serve him. And I'm going to steal a lot of my thunder here. But if you're not where you ought to be in your relationship with God, you're not ready to serve him. And the odds are you're not serving him. And the greater odds are if you're trying to serve him, you're not as effective as you ought to be. And you're probably killing yourself in the flesh doing it. So here we are. Peter's restoration. First, we're going to see Jesus' question. This is a familiar passage. I know it is for most people who have been in church, but I want us to understand and allow God to show us something. The question that Jesus asked is really, in my opinion, based on how it's worded and how he words his question, a twofold question. Yeah, he asked him, Do you love me? But in verse 15, he asked him that three times. But in verse 15, he adds a few more words that I believe ought to take our, get our attention. So I believe this question that Jesus asks is first a question of lordship, but it's also a question of love. Notice the difference in verse 15 than 16 and 17. All three verses, Jesus says, do you love me? But in verse 15, Jesus says, Peter, rewind, I messed mess, mess, mess up my sermon. He doesn't call him Peter. Simon, do you love me more than these? And for millennia, the scholarly world has wondered, who or what are these? Today, I'm gonna answer that question once and for all. I'm not, I am gonna answer it, and you can disagree, and it's fine, because the message is still the same. Usually it's preached. Jesus says, he's got these other six disciples around. I'm gonna put this, because I'm preaching, it's my turn, so you just listen, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna push into this in a, in a legal kind of way. Six disciples around. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? 
Now, can you imagine the disunity that that may cause? After church, there's a few of you that act like you love me, gathered around me, we're shaking hands, I'm wiping sweat, and I look at one and say, Billy, do you love me more than these? You know I love you more than those people. And everybody would say, praise the Lord, amen, let's go home and eat. No, there may be somebody who says, Billy's crazy, I love you more. And then Sally says, they're all crazy, you know I love you more. And already there's contention among the brethren and sistren, right? And I would fix it by saying, well, prove it to me on Pastor Appreciation Day. <laughs> Who is the greatest among you? Do you remember Jesus also confronting some brothers who wanted to know which one was the best and the greatest and Jesus had no part of that. Why would Jesus say, I'm messing some of you up already, right? I've always thought it was the other disciples. But I'm, it may be, I might be wrong, but I'm sounding very convincing, aren't I? That, no, why? Why would you say, hey, y'all wanna fight? No. Now as, as unpopular as it may be, I think it may have to do with the fish. Because Jesus said, bring the fish with you. Peter was a fisherman. Peter was hungry. We knew what fish meant in the world of business. Matter of fact, when we go next January, we'll see people out fishing with cast nets just like they did nearly 2,000 years ago. Super cool. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna eat it after they fried it and brought it out. Well, y'all are. I don't eat them when they're looking at me, and they usually have eyes and looking at you, so I get the chicken tenders there. But anyway, <laughs> that's a difficult time, although somebody right there picked him up and kissed him in the lips looking at him. <laughs> She's foreign, though. She doesn't know any different. <laughs> no, he says, do you love me more than these? Now, think about it. He could be saying, um, do you love me more than the disciples, don't think so. Uh, do you love me more than the fish, more than your bread and butter, more than your life, your livelihood? I'll throw this out there. He may have been saying, Peter, do you love me more than these? Not do you love me more than they love me, but do you love me more than you love your brothers and your disciples and your friends and your fishing buddies? So you can take it however you want it, but the, the point is Jesus is saying, do you love me more? Church, the question that Jesus is asking is a question of lordship. Do you love me preeminently above everything? Is he first? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're sinful. Yeah, we still have the flesh. Yeah, we'll still fail him. Follow, follow Peter's life. But those who really do love him, those who really are sold out to him, even when they deny him, they will weep bitterly. They will know they're wrong. They will acknowledge their slip. They won't be the same until they're restored. So it's a question of lordship, but it's also obviously a question of love. Now, I'm not gonna bore you with a lot of details here because I wanna get to the, the real point, which is point three, and we're only on one. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, scholars will get into, well, what word love does he use, and I'm not gonna go there. I will tell you this, that Jesus uses the word agape, agape, first two times, and then he uses phileo the third time. Agape is the God love, that only God can love like that. Phileo is the, the city of brotherly love, which is not so brotherly and lovely these days, but it's, uh, it's an affectionate brotherly love. Philadelphia, so you were trying to make the connection there. Every time Jesus asks, Peter responds, phileo, phileo, phileo. I don't know why. Now some say, well it doesn't really matter because the words are used interchangeable in the Greek. I think there probably was more to it, um, not really here to say either way, other than I believe that Peter was dead set on answering phileo, phileo, phileo because he was, he felt unworthy. He knew he had messed up. Maybe that's why, I don't know. But here's what I want us to understand. 
Jesus' question was a question about his loyalty, about his lordship, about his love for him. And if anybody is going to be restored, they've got to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and that they love him. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me preeminently over everything? I know when we start talking about love, some people feel like, uh, well, that's just kind of soft. And I tell you, honestly, it kind of sounds a little soft to me too. I'd rather love to talk about fighting. If you love Jesus, fight for him. It's just my nature. But when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, the greatest of all commandments, he says, you're to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, I like to tie that together and say, if you love me with your heart, soul, mind, you'll fight for it. That's the way I look at it. That's how I make it work in my mind. But his greatest commandment was that we love him supremely, and the second is like unto it, we love our neighbor as ourselves. But the greatest commandment is to love God with your heart. Heart, nine times out of 10 in the New Testament, speaks of the, the whole of the person, the center will of the person. And God says, am I Lord? I'm Lord, and I'm Lord when I see that you love me supremely. And so his question is about loyalty, his question is about love, but then notice real quick Peter's confession. Peter confesses that I do love you. You know I love you. But I think there's a little, I think there's more to see here, and I, I think it's important for us to understand this. This was not Peter's first encounter with Jesus since his denial. Now, if you're, if you're a student of the Word of God at all, I hope that got your attention, because I think it would preach better if he hadn't seen him. But the Bible says that he has seen him. In, in Luke chapter 24, verse 33 and 34, and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 gathered together and them that were with them saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. That's Peter. He had appeared to Peter after his denial, after his resurrection, before this third appearance on the Sea of Galilee. Now there's no record of what happened there but I don't think they just walked into each other and gave a high five and kept going. Peter had denied Jesus, went out and wept bitterly. Jesus has risen from the dead. He appears to the disciples and he also appears to Peter seemingly, singularly. Can you imagine what that conversation was like? In Luke chapter, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul later, talking about the resurrection, says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried, he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. This is not the first encounter with Jesus that Peter has had since the resurrection. I would love to believe that there was some confession and some contrition and some grace and some mercy that was extended to Peter in that conversation. Now we have this restoration where Peter is asked by Jesus three times and Peter responds three times, I love you. Can't think about his confession without thinking of Peter's confession in Matthew 16. Who do men say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, one of the prophets, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And now here again, Peter is being asked, who am I by your love for me? The Bible says this third response, we'd like to think it ticked Peter off, but that's not what happened. It says he was um, grieved the third time, said to the Lord, you know, notice it's different. He doesn't just say, you know I love you, in the same way the first question was different than the other two. Peter's response is different in the third time. It's not, you know I love you, you know I love you, it's, you know all things, 
and you know I love you. What is Peter doing? He's confessing like he did in Matthew 16. You are God, you are Lord, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I am once again confessing who you are. Not just that I love you, but I love who you are. I'm acknowledging who you are. You're God, you're omniscient, you know everything. And he says he was sorrowful when he responded this time. He was grieved, that word grieved there uh, speaks of heaviness. Peter was not mad because Jesus was aggravating him. I think maybe that third question rung some bells in Peter's mind. I know where you're going, Jesus. Three times, it's not a coincidence. I know who you are. I believe who you are. You know all things. And you know I love you. Peter confirmed that Jesus was Lord and that he loved him supremely. And now it's time to prove it. Now he's ready for his commission. Jesus has asked the question, Peter has confessed, and now Jesus is going to commission Peter. And this is really the, the crux of the message. He's being restored for more. And I'm going to throw, out, throw this out right now. The, the more may not be exactly what you would like for it to be. But I believe this text, if it teaches us anything, is that God wants to restore you, wants to restore me, because he has more in store for us. It would be sad to know how many true believers are crippled and handcuffed by previous defeats, previous denials, previous sins that they've allowed the world, they've allowed the flesh, they've allowed the devil to bear hug them and keep them from doing what God would have them to do. I'm gonna throw in something here. Believers, I'm gonna use Jesus' word here, sheep, that's you and me, not goats. You looked offended when I said sheep, but don't be. Sheep, we gotta do a better job of encouraging the other sheep when they fail. Chickens kill each other when they got a wound. Sheep don't do that. Did you just call me a chicken? If you're doing that, yeah. I didn't, I didn't stop my notes, it just came out that way. Sheep, true sheep in the church who know Jesus as their shepherd, when another sheep fails, yes, there are biblical things that we need to do, but there's nothing biblical that says put them down and run them out. Now, there are times for church discipline. Some of you are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I'm not saying that. But someone repents, is remorseful and contrite and asks forgiveness, we gotta do a better job of bringing them back into the fold and encouraging them. And don't be a friend of the devil or a tool of the devil because we can be, the church can be the leader many times in keep, keeping people who have failed repressed from serving God. I, I've, uh, this, this is why, I thought for many, many years in the church Please take what I'm about to say with some Holy Spirit. I don't know why, I think I might know why, but I used, to, I used to always, I felt like in the church, we did a poor job or a good job of making people with second marriages feel like third class citizens. That's just me, I always felt that way. From churches I've been in, I don't know why, but that was, the, that was the vibe I got. And I know what the Bible says, and I know what God's plan is for marriage. But I also know there's forgiveness. 
And I also know there are things that a, a person that's been married more than one time can do in a church. I also know biblically what they can't do. Not my rule, it's God's rule. It doesn't mean they're done. That's, that's man's idea that man's thrown into the church that if somebody got married before, well, they can't do anything anymore. There are people who say they can't teach Sunday school. Not here, they don't say that, but not out loud. But there are churches that won't allow people to teach Sunday school if they've been married more than once. And that's just one example. And I don't know why I threw that out there, but I think that's an example of how the church, many times, other sheep can prevent other sheep from serving. Peter's commission from God was twofold, to feed the sheep and to follow the shepherd. It's right there in the text. Verse 15 and 16, now that Peter has acknowledged his love and his loyalty for God, for Jesus, he says, Simon, verse 15, feed my lambs. In verse 16, he says, King James, feed my sheep. If you have a good study Bible, that feed there will have a little note out there, and it'll say, tend my sheep. So the first time he says, feed my, feed my lambs, second time he says, tend my sheep, and the third time he says, feed my sheep. And I don't want to confuse you there, but it's important. Jesus is not saying the same thing three times. He is saying he has a plan for Peter to be a, an under-shepherd of the sheep. We understand this because we understand that Jesus is the shepherd. And Jesus is commissioning Peter to be a leader. A leader now and a leader we'll see later in the church, in the New Testament church. In John chapter 10, we acknowledge that Jesus is the good shepherd. In Hebrews chapter 13, scripture acknowledges that Jesus is the great shepherd. In 1 Peter, this Peter writes that Jesus is the chief shepherd. But here, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd tells Peter, who has failed Jesus, but is being restored to do something for him, feed my lambs. He uses the word lambs instead of sheep, and it's intentional. And I don't want to bore you with all that, because you kind of you look like that already, but um, it would be a longer, but it's really three little classifications, if you will. They all involve sheep, they all involve believers, but Peter is saying, God is saying, Jesus is saying to Peter, I want you to take care of my little baby lambs. Uh, and, and I think, you don't like it, that's fine. Um, I think that speaks volumes to the under-shepherd and the under-shepherds in the church to make sure we can take care of the babies. Now, I could preach it one direction and say that a lot of Christians act like babies. That's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. Talking about the little ones, the little children, even the little children believers, the lambs. Now, I believe there's some soteriological implications there, but I also believe it's important that we take care of the babies, that we help parents train up children in the way they should go so when they're old, they should not depart from it. A little eight-year-old that's still a baby lamb, he needs to be ministered to. She needs to be ministered to. Feed my baby lambs. Hey, anybody lead this little child away? Better for you to have a millstone wrapped around your neck and to be cast into the sea. And Jesus brought these little babies and said, suffer the little children to come to me. He had a heart for the little lambs. And he said, disciples, what? what? Who told you to keep these kids away from me? Bring them to me. I believe that's one implication of what Jesus is saying. But then he says, feed or tend my sheep. Now he's talking about those older sheep and the word tend there is a little different. It's kind of like shepherd. It's like disciple slash discipline my sheep. I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. Be a leader. Tell them what's right. Tell them what's wrong. You see somebody about to deny Jesus, tell them your story. Or somebody who has denied Jesus, tell them what happened. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Disciple, discipline, lead them, correct them, instruct them in all righteousness 
that the word of God does. And then the last, he says, feed my sheep again. Now we're feeding. We're not just tending, we're feeding them. We're giving them food. And he's commissioning Peter to be an under-shepherd that feeds the flock. Isn't it interesting that Peter was the one who wrote 2 Peter 3.18? But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to him be glory both now and forever. Peter understood the job of an under-shepherd. He understood his commission to feed the sheep. So much to say there. But when we see churches and preachers, pastors that are feeding them the wrong food, feeding sheep the wrong food, feeding sheep the food they want to eat and not the food they need to eat, it's the antithesis of what Jesus said to the under-shepherd. I know what I need to eat. spiritually and physically but if we want to make some application I need somebody to tell me and help me eat physically the way I need to eat because left on my own y'all don't believe me my car will turn into a Chick-fil-A it doesn't matter <laughs> I don't have a self-driving car but if I do this it'll turn into Chick-fil-A I could eat I could just have eaten lunch at somewhere healthy which I don't and I pass Chick-fil-A and my car goes in there. Just naturally that way. In, the same, in a similar way, we all know what we need spiritually to eat. But we don't all do it. And one of the jobs, one of the jobs of a shepherd, an under-shepherd, is to feed them what they need. May I, may we, may this church always be a church that allows and instructs the under-shepherd to teach, to feed what we need, not what we want. It's destroying the church today. Well, they, they got a thousand people there. It's destroying the church today. But he's got 25,000 followers. It's destroying God's church today when people are fed what they want instead of what they need. He says to feed the sheep, and second, he says, follow the shepherd. This is a powerful passage of Scripture. Follow the shepherd. In verse 18, he tells him, when you were a kid, you put on your clothes, you put on your belt, you tied your shoes, you did what you wanted to do. But when you're old, Peter, somebody's going to take you where you don't want to go against your will, and you won't have the authority Speaking of, he says, the type of death that he will die. Jesus tells Peter, in his commissioning, feed my sheep. You're going to die for me. And here's how you'll die, by crucifixion. He gives him the, these words, and then at the end of verse 19, he says, um, follow me. Follow me. And Peter has followed Jesus for years, but now he's telling him to follow him to a cross. Not just that you will die on a cross, but he said this is the way that you will glorify God. Hope you don't miss that in that text. And your death will glorify God this way. Peter had said a few chapters ago, a few weeks ago, I'll die for you. And went out and denied him. And now in his restoration, in his commissioning, Jesus says, you're going to get a chance to do what you said you would do. Die for me. Tradition, not fact. There's no history that says this other than that he died on the cross. Tradition says that he would not be crucified the way Jesus and asked to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to die 
the way Jesus died. But history records that Peter was crucified as a martyr on a cross, just the way Jesus said. I never read this passage that I don't think of this quote that I heard and supposedly Dr. Martin Luther King said it. If a man has not discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. Now that has all kind of implications for a man who died for a cause, but spiritually speaking, church, that's a, that's a big ask. It's a big ask to say, die for me. And I couldn't read this, I couldn't preach this without thinking and saying and reminding us of the thousands upon thousands who have died for this and the thousands upon thousands who are dying for this. Why? Other than the Americanization of Christianity, why would we expect any less from us? This is what Jesus expects. Oh my goodness, now it's time to preach. We, we cower down and we deny and we act like, oh, I don't want to cause any trouble. And Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Are you willing? I'm, I'm, this is a tough question. I'm going to say it like it's real easy to, to say. Are you willing to die for me? You feel that? That's the heaviness of that question. None of us want to imagine that we'll have to. And I pray, honestly, I pray and think about it, that we don't have to. But why not when others are? And I'm, I'm just going to throw it out here, and I know, I know I'm just wet blanket on this. But if he's preeminent and Lord in your, in your life, and you love him supremely, you'd give your life for it. I know, I know that's easy preaching. I'm saying it so eloquently, but it's hard to think that we would ever do that. I, I've got a wife who's coughing her head off to, had to go outside. That's why we're not mad and fussing. She's sat over there so she can get out. We, we are mad and fussing, just to be honest. No, no, just kidding. Just, <laughs> but I got a wife over there who, who I, I would die for. I got kids that I would die, I would die for them. I would say that no question. No second thought, no let me think about it, pray about it. I would do it. Why? Because I love them preeminently. And I consider them as top in my life. And any man worth his salt would say the same thing and would do the same thing. But as a believer, as a child of the King of Kings, who is sovereign, who is Lord, who is seated in his righteousness, in his kingship, as the choir sung about. He is Lord of all. And if he is preeminent in our life, and we love him, and he is Lord, and we're sold out to him, there's no difference. We live for it, we die for it. Can you imagine the denier, three times denier. Third time, did a good old-fashioned redneck Rocco cussing and spit and stomped his foot. I don't know him. That's what the Bible says. That guy was restored by Jesus, was commissioned by Jesus to do more than he had ever done before. And he preached the Pentecost message in Acts chapter 2 where thousands got saved and the church began. This loser in man's eyes, this quitter, this denier, is now the Pentecost preacher. But then he goes a step further. He didn't just preach at Pentecost. 
He wrote two of the inspired books of Scripture that we still read 2,000 years later. Can you imagine that same Peter who stomped and denied Jesus three times on a cross in front of the world when all, like many other martyrs before, had to do, all he had to say was, we lied, it didn't really happen. It was a show, it was a hoax, it was a fake. We hit his body, he's buried in the desert just to get off the cross, just to get out of the death penalty. But no, it's true, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. I love him supremely, I'm committed to him and his gospel, and if it takes this to prove it, kill me. You imagine the effect Peter had on the life of so many other believers when they saw this leader in the church who had been a failure before, restored to do more than he had ever done, and what that did for the church. People thought, probably like many of us do, if he can do it, certainly I can do it. I think that's good motivation, by the way. I mean, I see people that aren't nearly as smart as me, nearly as good looking as me, nearly as educated as me, doing more than me, and I think, well, certainly God could use me. I mean, if he can do that's a joke, relax. The question is this, are you, are you being held back? Hey, we all sin and fall short of God's glory. We've all messed up. And if the devil has his way, he'll keep you bound and in chains on a stool of do-nothing, ticked off, irritated, and bringing people down. Bitter, guilty, upset. That's not God's plan. God's plan is if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I'm gonna tell you this, I, I used to have a difficult time, I'm, I still do, with people who made major mistakes in their life, getting up saying, well, look, I did all this, it's all right, I, got a, I don't like that, I think you gotta come at a different angle. But there's people in here who have been through a lot. There's people in here that messed up a lot. And the story that you have will help somebody else. When you, when you concede to God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and allow him to restore you, not just to walk around and look pretty, but to do something for him, you encourage more people than you ever thought you could. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your grace, for your mercy, your forgiveness. My prayer, my hope, my desire today is that you've encouraged someone who may not be where they ought to be. Maybe they've allowed the devil, the flesh, maybe they've allowed themselves to be convinced that they're not worthy. Maybe they've confessed, maybe they've repented but the guilt is just too much. God, I pray today you would, you have and you would through your Holy Spirit convince them that you have more for them to do. There's grace and forgiveness if they would respond to it. While you're in a, maybe a time of prayer right now, just between you and God, or you know where you're at. He knows where you're at. I think there's an indication in the text that when he calls him Simon, he's calling him his old name because Jesus knows us. He knows who we are. He knows who we were before him. And he knows we're frail. He knows we're our propensity to sin, our propensity to deny. If 
you're here today and you fit this description and you've been, you've been held back from serving, held back from peace, held back from being comforted by his Holy Spirit because of past. I hope the word of God has encouraged you. The Holy Spirit has convinced you that there's still work for you to do. You can still be effective for the cause of Christ. Would you stand with me? As we're about to sing, if you want to come to an altar, the altars are open. If you want to pray where you're at, I encourage you to do that while we sing this morning. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.